Oscar Poker. Hey, Jen. Hey, Tom. Are you in Los Angeles or New York or where are you? Yeah, in Los Angeles. Okay. How's it going? So did, I, did I just hang up on one of you who called yeah. a second ago? Hey, I, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. So rude. The, uh, actually, it is simple. <laughs> just do add person. It does, it does work pretty easily. So. Okay, good. All right. Cool, cool. All right. So we're going to um, – we, we were inspired by the um, uh, by the Golder list of, of potential uh, – or, or likely nominees, um, but we all have the same people on our list. And then Chris Tapley and Guy Lodge jumped in with the same people. So we just we should just spit. Want well, to just start with best picture and then um, say why it's looking good, and then you know just go on down the line. You want to do that, or how do you want to do it? Well, let's first ask Tom. Tom, how did you compile these um, these early Oscar? Favorites, because I don't think did you ask the Gold Derby people what they thought, or was it more like it was your editorial choice? Well, we have our editors list, plus we have the Gold Derby uh, users, several hundred of those. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but they pretty much line up. They do. Okay. Alrighty, and so you just said, what, what movies do you think are going to have the best chance of getting nominated? Uh, actually, yeah, we asked them to to rank them according to likelihood of winning. Of winning. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, so we've got all the major categories covered. So let, me, let me surprise everybody and just say, cut to the chase, instinct, don't think about it. What's going to be the best picture of 2012 and what's going, what's going, what has the headwind right now? <laughs> well, there's two different realities there. Headwind is one reality is what people assume, right? Which yeah, is that's just what I'm talking about. What do you? Yeah, think? because that that's not based in reality. Remember, that's that's just based yeah. on um, you know likelihood of project to succeed right. which in i'm not sure why lincoln is number one after the warhorse disaster of last year <laughs> that's I know, my problem I, I think les mis is the one that should be number one but it's not so oh why sasha yeah why um well you know how the oscars are it's always like or i don't know if it's still like this but it used to be sort of like the second um the second at bat for someone who won Best Picture and really didn't deserve it gets to come back and prove that they deserved it. 
You're never, you're never going to forgive the defeat of the social network, will you, Sasha? I, I would have liked any other movie to win except The King's Speech. <laughs> so saying Tom Cooper has to pay the price. He has to. Uh, I love this. Because of this is so cruel. And just win as a King's Speech. I get that. But I also think, yeah, and, and I also think it's just got everything that like a modern oscar best picture winner is going to need it's you know first of all the academy's going to want to defend their choice of best picture from tom hooper so they're going to say see i told you he's great and then it's also subject matter appropriate to the times it's very emotionally moving you know the only drawback slight drawback i can see so far is hugh jackman which it's really hard for me to imagine him in a best picture winner that's my only he strikes point. you as not being a, a person of, of, of deep, uh, you know, inner passion and substance. He's too much of an entertainer. Kind mean? of, yeah. He's not serious okay. enough. And then with him, with with him and Amanda Seyfried, the two of them together kind of bring the bring the uh, uh, prestige factor down just a notch. But Anne Hathaway brings it up, and yeah, um, the, I'm telling you, the subject matter just plugs right into what's happening right now with the one. What I like about this theory, by the way, Sasha, is mm-hmm. that um, the, the Oscars go in cycles, of course. And what the King's Speech victory reminded us was that uh, just when we had written off historical dramas, one came back. So right. just as we're writing off musicals now, one could come back. Yeah, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. <laughs> and uh, okay, so but let's just run them down really quick. So we have. Uh, well, I'll tell you why I think Lincoln is in the number one slot. Okay. Yes, there is a, a scare factor, a fear factor with Spielberg. Somehow, some way, he'll sentimentalize it. You know, do his usual thing, and it won't feel right. But you've got an, uh, what I've been told, uh, and I trust in the in the talent and the gifts of Tony Kushner, the screenwriter, mm-hmm. and I certainly trust in the uh, in the astonishing sometimes astonishing abilities of uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. And I think right. this is going to be a landmark thing for him. Just something tells me it's going to be astonishing. So on those two um, elements alone, the script and the performance, I don't know if Spielberg has any intelligence, and he's, no, he's not stupid. He'll get out of the way and just sort of let those two elements come to their natural level. And I think right. that unless he mucks it up horribly, you know... It, that's, that's what, that's what we said about Warhorse. Remember, just if he just could get out of the way, he didn't get out of the way. That's true. Um, the thing about Spielberg is he does every movie the same way. Like he 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 always because of Jaws, the success of Jaws, he's superstitious. This is what I heard anyway from a mm-hmm. well-known director who told me this story. I don't know if it's true, but I'm assuming it is. Um, he always films the exact same number of days and and under the same sort of budget. Like he never goes over budget. He never goes over a certain number of days, mm-hmm. and that. I think is one of his problems because he doesn't tinker. He just sort of lets it lie. And that's sort of Clint Eastwood's thing too. Mm-hmm. So if the if the script isn't perfect and the performances aren't perfect, the film will suffer as a result because it's it's just kind of shoved into this Well, schedule. remember now that the, you say if the script isn't perfect. I don't know what the script is. I haven't read it. But they worked on this thing forever. I mean, remember he was, they were thinking, I was talking to Liam Neeson uh, seven years ago, about uh, that he was hoping it would go within a year or something. Yeah. So what it needs is an obsessive director who's going to obsess yeah. on it until it gets it right. It doesn't need someone who's just going to throw it up on the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. So that's again, my. They must have something pretty refined, wouldn't you say? If they were waiting for seven years, I heard from Todd McCarthy at one point, <clears throat> who had heard directly from Spielberg. They just were trying to get it right, trying to get the right time. Uh, 
portion of Lincoln's yeah. uh, term in, in, in office down to the right length and everything. I know, but boy, would it, wouldn't it be so easy to make movies if what you read on the page is what ended up on the screen? <laughs> That's here's what's wrong. Here's what's wrong with your theory, Jeff. Okay. The the, the as, always astounding Daniel Day Lewis. That, that what you just said. If I'm if I'm quoting you properly, right. he is. I believe potentially miscast here in a disastrous way. <laughs> it's possible he he could sink this whole movie the same way he sunk the musical Nine, and that is oh. yeah. He's astonished. He's astonishing when you put him in a there will be blood situation or this big bombastic. Uh, Bill the Butcher thing in, in Gangs of New York. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Lincoln is that this man had a glow, a subtlety. You know, there's the melancholia we talk about with Lincoln, the soulfulness, this man of a man who entered into a doomed marriage and had a doomed family where he watched his son die mm-hmm. one by one as yeah. they grew up. And then he had the burden of this of this war on his shoulders and then the tragedy of his loss. And so I do you possibly see that coming through the eyes of Daniel Day Lewis? Isn't he just gonna be a Another kind of grumbling. Uh, I, I, I hope he nails it, but I'm very skeptical. Hmm. Okay, so what you think is an appropriate way to, to do Abraham Lincoln, given everything that was on his back and everything that was under in, in the current within his life, is that you need somebody who's a little more Raymond Massey-ish than Daniel Day-Lewis, who tends to go for quirk and extremes and, and that kind of snarly quality, right? Yeah, that's what worries me. Right. Yeah, the well, bombast. It's sort of the whole idea of this um, Lincoln yeah. as vampire killer idea. It's it's like really <laughs> <laughs> he was sort of a rigid man, stoic and rigid. He wasn't like flailing around with you know weapons and nimble and you know it's you don't think of him that way. And so when you try to imagine him, you don't imagine him having you know one intense emotional breakdown scene after another. You just sort of imagine him. Liam Neeson seems like the perfect guy for the part. Absolutely. Why did why they didn't cast him? You know, the problem with Daniel Day-Lewis in Nine, of course, was the Guido character was supposed to be warm and lovable and charming with a wink and a, and a bounce yeah. in the step. And he didn't have any of that. Lincoln was supposed to be lovable, if nothing else. He won over. Remember, he, the whole this, this movie is based on uh, the Doris Kearns Goodwin thing about him bringing in his rivals into the cabinet. He, even his enemies loved him. Mm-hmm. So where's the love in Daniel Day-Lewis's, you know, yeah. as a character? I don't know. I hope I'm... Yeah, you could well, be. We could be wrong, it, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, surely, don't you think he's he's going to have that, those same determinations, just sitting there thinking things over, and we're going to say, I can't, I can't uh, be mannered in a in a kind of a uh, build a butcher way or anything that's any smacks of extreme. I've got to, I've got to, you know, be um, kind of solemn and quiet and yet reflective and and wise and uh, you know. The, the, Jack leg country lawyer, all that stuff, you know. So yeah, probably. probably the closest you get to that is Age of Innocence, is his work in that movie where um, he had to wear a lot of makeup and, and kind of be, because the, the times required that you hold everything in, you know. Mm. And um, he was a cold motherfucker in that, you know. So mm. uh, Tom's right when you, th- when you think about him being a likable. I mean, he's going to be a kind of a... <laughs> An odd Lincoln because he's going to be kind of a dark Lincoln, you know, and maybe that'll work. Maybe it'll work. And and we have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'll tell you this much. If he does knock it out of the park, you know, he, he could be looking at a third Oscar because um, they will say, oh, he subdued himself so much. That's so unlike Daniel Day-Lewis. You yeah, know, he yeah, turned in something point. he's never done before. You know, and that puts him right at the top of the list to win again so, a third. So, Oscar. you were at the uh, Cannes thing with the Weinstein's of, for their upcoming uh, fall slate. What was your impression 
of the master when they showed us footage of that. What, what does that feel like to you? As a- well, the fact that it's showing up, well, I just want to read really quickly the top five right now on Gold Derby, which I think are pretty good. If you think, if you imagine um, Oscar going to five nominees, and, and there are always five strong best pictures anyway, mm-hmm. even when they do 10 or nine, you've always got your core five. And the way you do that is you work backwards from best director. Who's going to be nominated for best director? And that's your core five. And I think they have a pretty good idea here where they have Lincoln, The Master, The Great Gatsby, Les Mis, and Django. It's a good start for what will probably be the five most favorited movies of the year, but they're also Internet favorites. So whether or not that translates to Academy favorites is the mystery because Paul Thomas Anderson, The Master, the chances of it winning Best Picture are slim. You have... Uh, Joaquin Phoenix jacking off on the beach. <laughs> That's not going to win Best Picture, but um, but I close. A, I see a Paul uh, uh, Philly uh, for Best Actor in that for sure, but I don't know about the rest of it. I don't think it's it's. I mean, if you're thinking of quote unquote Oscar movie, but if you're thinking about a movie that's going to have a lot of heat and a lot of love and a lot of internet favorite stuff going on, that's definitely it. It's going to be a really strong contender. Probably he's never made a bad movie. Paul Thomas Anderson, and he's way overdue. What do you um, think, Tom? I think that what we've learned in the last two years was that the movie with the most passion, again, wins. And But, of course, last year, uh, Harvey had picked up the artist at uh, Cannes. We never saw that as a Best Picture winner. The King's Speech uh, was not the movie we were looking at at this time uh, three years ago, right. uh, two years ago now. We were looking at Social Network, Inception, and Black Swan that year. Hurt Locker, of course, didn't look like an Oscar movie. And and then, Jeff, going back four years ago, I remember you and I standing in the lobby of the theater at the Toronto Film Festival moments after seeing Slumdog Millionaire and going, wow, we've just seen the best picture. Yeah. Of course, we were right, but that wasn't until September that we even knew. So in a way, of course, it's ludicrous that we're even doing this exercise <laughs> right now. Right. But, but having said that, the one movie that there is so much passion about, and Sasha articulated it so well when she saw it at, at Sundance, and I just saw it the other night, Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yep. My God, that movie transports you. Everybody, really even does. Karen <laughs> Freed, you know, a very cynical Oscar campaigner, for a, for a rival uh, uh-huh. studio, walked out of there and went, wow. I know. It just rips your heart out of your chest. It does. And you're just dazzled by the genius of the, the two writers and the director. To me, I was. And that's the kind of thing that I would, yeah, I would put that up there for sure. If, if Harvey around, Weinstein was, had that movie. <laughs> but, but Fox Searchlight does. And they Fox got Little Miss Sunshine in the That's mix, right. etc. Come on, you know. Yeah, I know, Fox Searchlight. I know, it's it's a strong one for sure. It's 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 the only one on that list that is there because of its of its of of its content, you know, like it's not there because it has a famous director attached or, you know, the subject matter or it's highly anticipated. But that's the one to watch out for for sure. Uh, I don't know it's about this to year's win. Winter's Bone, but it's actually good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, but it's more emotionally effective than Winter's Bone. It's like, I know, uh, that's what I mean. yeah, no, it, it, it's incredible movie, and that, that he's a real find. That guy, he's he's going to go right to the top of the list. So, Tom, I would just uh, like to interject. Why do you think um, that the uh, Gold Derby uh, community uh, did not put Zero Dark Thirty in the top five? I would think it would be because of. Um, the um, excitement and the thrill of watching the pedigree of it, yeah. thing and everything. Well, it's at number eight on our list. Uh, the Hobbit comes in at 
uh, the, the Life of Pi is six, Hobbit is seven, Dark uh, Zero Dark Thirty is eight, Hyde Park on the Hudson is nine, and Anna Karenin is ten. Yeah, and Beast of the Southern Wild should be higher up. It's only because people haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the yeah. majority of people who are doing this list haven't seen it yet. But um, the thing is about you're talking about King's Speech and the artist and Hurt Locker and stuff a minute ago. And it, you could even put No Country for Old Men in there, possibly The Departed, you could argue. What they all have in common is that they are essentially about the goodness of man. They are about positive uh, reinforcement of, of values, even if the darkness takes over. As it's in, in The Departed, you know, Mark Wahlberg finally kills the bad guy, and um, Leo DiCaprio is a good guy. In The Hurt Locker, certainly Jeremy Renner was a wonderful, sympathetic character. And they don't go for movies about dark characters. I mean, they haven't in a long time. And I don't think the master is suddenly going to turn around and make be about the goodness of man. That's my... I just wanted to make that extra point. In that, you're talking about passion, but it has to also have that element of admirable character in there somewhere. So if it has that, There Will Be Blood didn't. But if it has that, then uh, then it has a really good chance. But if it doesn't, forget it. Mm-hmm. I agree. So that's all I wanted to say. But Jeff, what do you think? You keep asking us. What, I know. Uh, <laughs> let's throw the ball back at him, Sasha. All right. He's doing I something think- else. No. <laughs> Well, I still, I think it's, uh, you know, barring, again, Spielberg screwing himself up, I think it's Lincoln. I think that it's definitely uh, Zero Dark Thirty. And I think it's um, uh, almost certainly, uh, nomination-wise, no question about the Beast. And also, um, I I think, I I sense a glorious uh, kind of madness and exuberance and a lot of, uh, just a lot of... um, Atmosphere that I didn't expect to feel from The Great Gatsby. I know that some people were, were appalled by it, and they feel that it's, he's, you know, doing the usual thing. But I, I just thought it was, um, I, I just got the sense that he was rediscovering, uh, I'm talking about Baz Luhrmann, of course. Yeah. That he was yeah. rediscovering and finding a new, something fresh and vital about that time period. By, yeah, by jazzing it up a little bit. But I felt it was not a timepiece. We weren't looking back at the 1920s through a yesteryear glass, but it was immediate and alive. I just felt he, he's locked into something or tapped into something. How can I tell this? I don't know a fucking thing because it's a trailer, you know, so what do I know? Yeah, I yeah. Have scripts. Right, I'm sorry, oh, that thundering does, thundering sound in the background, by the way, are my three cats running around the apartment in case it picks up <laughs> on the mic. at the same time. <laughs> Beware of the cats because our last podcast, one of the cats shut off uh, yeah. the recordings. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. He cut off... <laughs> A major part of our conversation. <laughs> He's not on our desk, though, right now. He's just running around the ground. <laughs> but sorry. But no. Jeff, I share your enthusiasm for Great Gatsby because what I think that Baz does so brilliantly is he knows that if you're going to do a movie about romantic longing like Moulin Rouge, and that is you surrender to the motif of opera, let's say. You don't just love someone. You really love someone. Mm-hmm. You do what a boy band does well with a good song. You go over the top with it. And, of course, he has a theater back, an opera background. And so I hope he brings that with this kind of cool sensibility that you're talking about in that trailer where he's bringing hip-hop music and, and, and other stuff that you think, wow, where's this coming from? Yeah. He's up, updating the whole, possibly the greatest story of the 20th century in terms of mm. American uh, novels. And if he nails it, and I, I think he has the ability, this could be one of the 
movies of the ages. I think so too. My only problem with the trailer was Leo's accent, and that unfortunately one bad <laughs> accent. Wasn't ruin. Jay Gatsby supposed to be from the Midwest or something? Yeah, no, the p- people said that. They said, oh, well, you know, he's supposed to be talking with a fake accent or a bad accent or something. He's and a bit of a rube, and he's got that list of things that uh, way to behave and way to talk. He's right. Himself. He, you know, he's very right. committed to uh, fitting in and being a gentleman. Of, mm-hmm. uh, That's a hard st- thing to pull off, though. It yeah. really is. It would be hard for Meryl Streep, let alone Leonardo DiCaprio. So. If he pulls it off, if he makes it doesn't sound like laughably bad, then, um, you know, it's a subtle thing to be able to to sound like you're a rube putting on a, a, you know, a society accent. It's a hard thing to pull off, really hard. So, um, but either way, he's not going to be nominated or or he's not certainly not going to win best actor because the Jay Gatsby character is pretty bland. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about Leo ever winning. You know, it's like, I don't know what part he's finally going to get that is going to win him an Oscar. Um, I think uh, uh, Chris Tapley mentioned Argo, and I agree. I've, I've heard some good things about it, although you can never trust that kind of early word because it's always from publicists. But That's almost like a procedural, you know. That's, what that is is basically how do we get these guys out of, um, out of Iran during the hostage crisis mm-hmm. by making them pre- by pretending that they're a film crew. That's pretty much it. It's, a, yeah. it's a, how we did this. So it's... I know, I but know he's a, he's a good director. It's it's going to be all about him, Ben Affleck. You know, he's going to be like the the new George Clooney, sort of like if he if he hits it out of the park. And if it's good, if it's better than the town, which was almost as good enough to be nominated, then I think he's going to be one of the you know well, contenders. Let's just just let's just be imaginative. What could be a movie has to be about more than the story. It has to be a, a theme. It has to say something, tell us something about ourselves. It has to be an undercurrent. What do you think might? This doesn't seem like it might not have much of an undercurrent. It seems like a fascinating story about something that actually did happen. <clears throat> so what could this be? Well, we no, not, not necessarily. If it's a story really well told, it's still going to be a strong Oscar contender. <clears throat> um, I don't know. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. All of these movies are wait and see. You know? They have to be metaphors. They can't just be good stories. They've got to mean something. You've got to think about yourself and look yeah. at yourself in the mirror after you see it and go, yeah. That movie had a point, you know. That's right. The old, you know. Right, but not always, you know. I mean, some movies just get there on style and on execution if the, the director is good enough. It's possible. Like, like Slumdog, right? Right. Some Slumdog didn't tell me anything about myself, I can tell you that. I was just... Uh, Swept up in they, the story, like the artist. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but anyway, well, it's one of the strong contenders probably, I think. Did you guys... Happen to see um, the eleven-second clip of Life of Pi that is online now? Just I, went I up. haven't watched it yet. I just saw it that it was put up, but I haven't watched it. Sorry, not yet. no, I haven't seen it yet either. The instant that I saw it, I was thinking, "Jesus, I'm really sorry that I left Vegas one day early," and because uh, I would have loved to have seen this in 3D. It looks like great 3D. Uh, mm-hmm. can't wait for that. Um, so yeah, Ang Lee is always somebody to consider. I don't know that he should be up there, way up there at number six, but... Um, but Pete Hammond and people like that were saying, wow, this is this is great. This is like Oscar stuff, you know. I don't know why they were saying that, but they were very high all of a sudden. Everybody was like... Just from the, the clip that they showed? Yes, out of, out of CinemaCon. Huh. Well, maybe we're looking at an Avatar-type situation there. Hmm. Um, but... At any rate, um, Tom, do you have any idea if the Academy's going to go with 
how many nominees they're going to go with this year. We haven't year. even talked about Anna Karenina, though. We haven't talked about... Uh... Oh, no, I was just going to see if Tom had heard anything in terms of... Because we still don't know if we're looking at five or nine or ten or whatever the number is going to be for Best Picture. We still don't know that. I assume that sometime in the next month we'll get that announcement because it's always when I'm camping in Yosemite that they announce... that <laughs> <laughs> they're going to change the basic... Uh... Uh, stratagem or the the formula for coming up with best picture nominees. I, I don't do know. It. I was just asking Tom if he had heard anything or if he knew anything or assumed anything. No, I don't know. But 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 your your assumption is right though, Sasha. That they'd love to just mix it all up every year and just to, just to cause trouble, and they could do that again this year. Right. But 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 I but I just wish they would. And I know it's a futile hope, but I just wish they would in, inject some logic into this. If you're going to say there are eight best pictures, why can't there be best eight best directors, etc.? Why are we you know Everyone's now tinkering like the Emmys are, have got six in many categories for uh, for best of this or that. I just wish that uh, uh, there was kind of a level of uh, some fairness at this so that, uh, you know, why not open it up to seven best actors, seven best directors, seven, whatever the number is. Let's just be consistent. Yeah. I would love to I'd love to see that curveball that they would throw at us. Yeah, that would be really cool if they did something like that. Hmm. You know, they just changed it a tiny bit. They they love to tinker with the other categories and with Best Picture, but so far the acting and the directing and the screenplays have always just been solid five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. would you, let me ask you guys: Would you want? Would you vote? Would you endorse that if they they pick some arbitrary number across the board seven, eight, six nominees? Uh, uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> Have any? I don't understand what we're saying here. Are you saying that they they're going to come up with a different strategy that would keep it to a certain number? Just restate what you were saying. Yeah. So, so the the question Sasha's asking is, what curveball are they going to throw at us this year? Because they always mix up the best picture race. I'm taking it one step further than say, what if they actually threw the curveball as saying that they're going to mix up all the races? And my question to you guys is, if they did that, I would recommend that they be consistent. And let's say if we're, they're going to say there were seven best pictures, that they'd be seven best actors, seven best directors. Do you oh, endorse okay. that? That makes sense. That would make. I would think that sounds fair. A fair idea. Fair. Fair mathematics, I guess. Yeah, they're weird though. They like to stick with tradition for the most part. I, I think I have a feeling they're only going to tinker with best picture again. You know. Yeah. Because um, usually it feels like there's five. It always feels that way. Like there are five directors, five movies. You know, you can stretch it out to include, you know, the bigger budget movies if you want. But it always feels like there's a strong five. And I guess if you started thinking of it in terms of six, it would feel like there was six, you know. But um, but it's pretty easy to, to see who's, who might get nominated for director. You've got Paul Thomas Anderson, Spielberg, Bigelow. Ang Lee, Tom Hooper. I mean, that these are just the people that are on Gold Derby's list, but there are so many others. Do you think that perhaps Les Miserables might be uh, in, a, in a one-on-one against Anna Karenina because they're both historical pieces from previous centuries and they both involve heavy drama and tragedy and people are going to say in their minds, well, I don't know if we want to nominate two movies of that type. You know, it would be one or the other, possibly. Tom, what do you think? I think there's only room for one historical uh, drama like this, and I think that Sasha's right that it's probably Les Mis, because if you saw a great production of that, and I did in London when it was running there first, and then I saw it on Broadway, and it wasn't quite as good, but the one I saw in 
in London was so magical and it moved me so much mm. that if they nail that in the film version, then it's the passion that we're talking about here. It's right. it's the prestige film. It's everything that. And so I, I hope Sasha's right because that's a work of art as a stage musical. And I hope they they really really get it right on screen. Mm. Yeah, and if you're looking at all these movies on Gold Derby's list, you're looking at all of them, and you think about what Oscar voters go for, especially nowadays, this like heart thumping love weepy sappy kind of mm-hmm. stuff that they go for um you have two only two depending if spielberg brings it out and if lincoln turns out to be one of those you know god bless america you know kind of movies then maybe you can include that gatsby is bittersweet Django's going to be typical you know wonderful tarantino hobbit is going to be kind of weird and obscure and um Zero Dark Thirty is going to be good, patriotic, but dark. She's not going to win again so soon. Um, you have mm-hmm. two. You have Beasts of the Southern Wild and you have Les Mis. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, it seems like just looking at what I see in front of me right now, those are the two movies that are going to be the strongest emotionally for voters. Yes. I think you're right. Sounds well, special. this has been a revelation for me. I never, I was not <laughs> thinking the way you guys were, but now you got me thinking that, you know, this idea of, of Daniel Day Lewis is going to take himself out because he's going to go too dark and quirky and strange, and he's not going to hit the right Lincoln notes that we want to see rather than what the piece is. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So, the, if nothing else, this conversation has left me with that to, to meditate upon. So. Yeah, and the fact that Les Mis is, is, you know, Les Mis is not cool. So what I like about Sasha, she's being very brave here by championing this because it's not cool. And and the movies that have won recently have not necessarily been cool. Like The Artist and The King's Speech wouldn't right. be the most trendy things in the world. So, so I think that's possible. But I, I, the whole point that she's making about the passion is where we have to look at this early stage. And that, those are the two places I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. And who knows what else might reveal itself that way. You know, we might be in for some surprises. Because um, mm-hmm. there's so many question marks still. I mean, Amor, Michael Haneke is on here at number 21. I think that's a really good thing, you know, because I think if they have 10 nominees, the the emotion behind that might push it through. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, I don't know if that's ever if that's going to get anywhere near the kind of emotion that you need. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's just hard to say. The You know, one thing, we, we haven't discussed um, um, Hyde Park on Hudson. Um, I have an um, association that I bring with Roger Michelle. He's a very classy um, uh, director who knows how to deliver these sort of things. He's, it's just a matter of how uh, intriguing the uh, relationship Triangle, I guess it is, between uh, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and FDR. And is it Lucy? Who's the third? Who's the. Yeah, Lucy. Yeah. So, where, can you tell us now, Tom, what you think has moved all those people to say that she's the, head, the front runner for Best Actress? Why would they suppose that? What would be the basis of that? Well, as we have not discussed Hyde Park on the Hudson, which uh, I, I have a. Very uh, kind of sterling association with Roger Michelle. I know that he's a classy director. He knows how to deliver. It's all about the obviously the script and the but performances in particular. Bill Murray and what I've been hearing from your end, Tom, is uh, Laura Linney. So what do you hear about that? Yeah, I think that there's just such an assumption made that she's 
an Oscar bait and awards bait in general that uh, she'll be there. Uh, this, of course, is based on FDR's uh, affair with his uh, cousin Margaret. Uh, we don't know. I, I, we, what we did learn about the Oscars recently with these historical dramas is it has to uh, give you an insight that we didn't have before, and it has to really tug at the heartstrings in the way that King's Speech does. We, we just don't know enough about this film yet. Yeah, yeah, the only thing we do know is that Bill Murray's not well-liked. Yes. And that's a problem. But, um, I mean, in terms of Oscar voters, uh, who does Laura Linney play in the movie? The cousin, uh, Margaret Suckley. Uh, okay, so she's... So, uh, yeah, I don't know. And she was romantically linked up with the FDR. Let's just be clear about that. Is that what this is? It's, it's a... Yeah, here, here's the description at IMDb. The story of the love affair between FDR and his distant cousin, Margaret Stuckley, uh, centered around the uh, the weekend in 1939 when the king and queen of the United Kingdom visited upstate New York. All right. mm. Yeah, so <clears throat> I was thinking that if she was going to play um, Eleanor Roosevelt, it would have been a total awards bait. But without that, um, uh, I, I still have to go back to I don't feel the heat there at all myself. I feel it with the... the the kid from Beast of the Southern Wild versus someone else, but not Laura Linney for that. I think she needs to have an accent and do the old age thing yeah. to win, because mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. so great. But she always kind of plays the same part, you know. So definitely, she needs to show some real versatility there with accent and this and that. And same with Carrie Mulligan, Great Gatsby, same thing. But she probably will be nominated. Keira Knightley for sure. Marion Cotillard gives a hell of a performance in Rust and Bone. God. You know, if she hadn't won already, she might have won for that. Helen Hunt is on here for six set. What is that? <laughs> I haven't even heard of that. Well, that used to be called the surrogate, and it was shown in uh, Park City, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the John Hawks movie where he's a when he's uh, he's but he's uh, is he paraplegic or something? He's trying to lose his virginity. It sounds horrible. It sounds is it like is it like inside. that? Oh, yeah. Well, no, it's actually, I, I, it's, uh, he's a quadriplegic, and he's uh, looking to, um, he doesn't know how long uh, his body will be able to sustain. He's essentially living on uh, with the benefit of an iron lung that helps him breathe. And he doesn't have, uh, <clears throat> you know, he knows he's probably not long for this world, maybe five or ten or who knows. So he wants to have a lover. He wants to know the joy of intimacy and sex before he goes. And he goes to Helen Hunt, who is a very solid, sweet person and a real professional. And uh, she handles herself. You can tell right away she's uh, she she has lines that she won't cross, and she's she's um. But there's a little bit of a thing that starts to happen between them, and it it it's it's subtle, and it's very very well acted. He in particular, and she too, do exemplary work in their respective roles. And you don't feel like you're being uh, icked out at all or this is a little kind of strange. It's, it's, a, it's a touching film. Hmm. So it'll, it'll do pretty well. Well, in terms of supporting, you've got um, Anne Hathaway at number one. I agree with that. But you don't think she's going to go lead? Anne Hathaway in, in Les Mis, uh, let's remit, let's, this is a spoiler thing, but you know she doesn't last the whole film. <laughs> oh, she doesn't. So she's definitely supporting. In terms of screen time, it's, it, I would think, yeah. Uh, and I was also surprised to see Joaquin Phoenix listed as supporting on here instead of lead. He's not the lead of the master. Well, the, the, everyone's making the assumption about Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? Maybe this maybe we're wrong here. 
I think Joaquin is the lead, but I don't know for sure. That's just my He's guess. He's the main but... protagonist, who is our guide or our our pal as we enter this world of uh, of this of the of the way or whatever they're calling the Scientology thing. That uh... right. Okay. So, so we screwed up on this list. Sorry, Gold Derbyites. Mm. Uh, Christoph Waltz is definitely on there for sure, and uh, um, <clears throat> wait, Bill Murray Moonrise? No, never gonna happen. Uh, let's see. He doesn't have a big enough part in Moonrise Kingdom. Um, Is he on for supporting in Moonrise? I don't think it's a big enough part. Yeah, I agree. No, he's not. A... Best actor, Daniel Day-Lewis. Okay, so where's Jamie Foxx on here? There he is. He's way down there. you got to lift him way up. He's got to be up there. Okay. He's going to be one of the five. Lower mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman. Lower well, John Hawks. Sasha, in terms of uh, year-end stuff, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino is uh, psychologically, emotionally, physiologically incapable of doing straight, uh, earnest, you know, touching stuff. He's, it's mm-hmm. always in quotes. It's always ironic. Yeah, always, I'm going to say uh, something that's going to, like, totally freak people out right now. And I'm sure I'll get a lot of hate mail, but do you remember when Halle Berry and Denzel Washington won? It came mm-hmm. on the heels of horrible charges of racism. You're going to see a lot of African-American faces. You're going to see probably Denzel Washington scoot him way up there. Um, Jamie Foxx. I'm not just saying because they're black. I mean, I think they're going to deserve it. Because his uh, airplane thing where he plays the pilot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scoot him way up. Lower Clint Eastwood. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good trailer, don't you think? I was really surprised to see that. For whatever reason, I wasn't thinking of it. And it's called Flight, Robert Zemeckis. And it's a totally fictional thing, right? Or is it based on something? I don't know. I don't know either, but Chris was talking about that. Chris Tapley, too, and I think that's right on the money. Um, i go Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. Jamie Foxx, um, Denzel Washington, and then maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman and Bill Murray. I'd put them as four and five. Mm-hmm. Both of them. Because they're sort of... That would be my choice, but what do I know? I'm not an expert. <laughs> that would be yes, how you are. I You're go. leading the way here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and Viola Davis. Uh, what, what what is she playing? What's her deal? What's that part? I don't I haven't heard anything about that movie that she's supposedly in. She's it's called Won't Back Down. Yes, a single mother rallies her fellow parents uh, to take control of their bottom ranked grade school. Oh yeah, she's oh, going to be in there for sure. So, yeah, it's going to be Viola <laughs> Davis. Let's try to pronounce her name. Quivashane? Quivashane for, for uh, yeah. Beast of the Southern Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meryl Streep's not going to get nominated. Um, because you've seen the trailer for that uh, sexual and, therapy thing, and that's a minor film. In your a head. and B, she just won. They're done. They're done with Meryl Streep now. There's no love for her in town. Not after she beat Viola Davis. Um <laughs> Or no, no, I don't mean most of I mean Helen Hunt. There's no love for there's. There's no there's love, love for Helen Hunt. Yeah, but 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 this movie doesn't sound very substantial. Mm-mm. No, and I, I should what? take that back. It's, I have to take. I have to cut out that thing I said about Meryl Streep because I don't want to get people. <laughs> <laughs> the Meryl Streep fans are going to come after me. Just remember, she's going to come back guns blazing when they. Yeah, do that's why uh, they're not going to throw away a nomination on her this year. There's no way. The only reason yeah. she kept getting nominated all this time is because people wanted her to win another Oscar. And she's always done great work. She does great work, let's face it. Um, she's definitely back with a nomination for Osage County. Can't It has to happen. It's just too good a part. So, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. think she's going to win, but she's certainly going to be uh, be in the running, as will 
if Julia Roberts mans up and does that role the way what's her name did did on on the stage, that'll be an excellent thing for her. So, yeah, you know, films we haven't discussed that I think could uh, be surprises, and uh, you know, you're not seeing it advance <coughs> that vividly. But I think that, uh, as I've been saying all along, I have strong faith and belief in Juan Antonio Bayona and his film The Impossible, which has been seen by two uh, colleagues. Uh, um, uh, Dave Carger being one and uh, Pete Hammond be the other, and it's uh, pretty sounds pretty good to me what I hear. So oh. I did, now, what is limiting? What the reason I say maybe not is because it's uh, at heart a just a uh, coping with and recovering from a disaster movie. So I don't know where that. Yeah, and I just want to. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I, I just want to put this out there though. Because I have the opportunity to put it on the record now that I have you and, and Tom here in front of me. Um, that little girl from uh, Beast of the Southern Wild. Yeah. <laughs> I pity the actress that goes up against her. I really do. I know. I because know. after last year's total debacle with the you know report from the LA Times coming out and the Academy being racist and then them not yeah. picking Viola Davis after the SAG picked her... And you have another um, black actress up for the prize. I don't know if Viola Davis is going to get in there, but if that little girl, whatever her name is, which I can't pronounce, she gets in there, watch out. I, 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 I think tell, it would be hard to not vote for that. her. Wait, I, yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking of Paper Moon. That's right. Back in 70, whatever that was, 73. Yeah, and she was 10 years old at the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever this girl's name is. And I'm, by the way, Sasha, are you going to the junket later today? You know, I'm not. I've I've just got too much going on okay. right now. So I'm, I'm going to actually meet her in about two or three hours. I'm very excited. Yeah. But uh, she's very precocious. She's obviously already working the whole Hollywood scene. Yeah. So she's, uh, she, as long as she's out there working, that charm offensive will pay off. Mm-hmm. If she, be yeah. Next, Sasha's right. Depending. I mean, but, but she delivers in that performance. She absolutely delivers. I, I've never seen a kid, other than Tatum O'Neill, turn in such a great performance as that. Now, are you guys just automatically discounting uh, uh, the Clint Eastwood film because they've decided <laughs> to bring it out in uh, September, which means that they don't see it as a as a award award season thing, right? Uh, you mean the the one that you put on your website, that one? Yes, oh. and also the one that Clint Eastwood has made. <laughs> so it's gonna come. Out. I don't know. I'm just seeing such a walking tragedy with Clint Eastwood right now because of that awful show on E, Mrs. Eastwood and Company, which I actually sat down and watched. And oh my god! Oh no, kidding! Is that uh, viewable online? Do you think? Uh, I don't know, but I've watched three episodes of it, and Clint Eastwood comes in every once in a while and like totters in and kisses his wife, and he just looks Mm -hmm. so confused and old and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it probably has no idea what's going on. And oh my god! I'm sorry to have to say it. I love Clint Eastwood. He's like one of my favorite directors. I just I, I'm horrified that they made this show. And his two daughters are such brats, and they're so spoiled, and there's like money everywhere, and they have the wife saying stuff like, you know, I grew up poor, and I value the dollar, and then mm-hmm. the next second I'm going to go get my belly button pierced so that I can prevent. <laughs> <laughs> I can prevent Morgan from getting hers pierced. And then, oh, look, Mommy, blood, blood. I mean, it's... <laughs> and then they have a maid who's been there. I mean, yes, it's quirky. It's weird. It's like I could see someone saying this would make a great reality show. But the fact that Clint Eastwood is being dragged along and that he's the whole point that it ever even exists, you know, 
So it's, that's one of the reasons why when you say his movie, it's hard for me to separate him from this Shonda that's occurring. Well, asking, he does have um, he, uh, a good part of the time. He has excellent taste. He does tends to do pretty good films. And this is essentially directed by him because it's directed by a, a, his friend, his house director friend, uh, who produced um, the last he, letters from Iwo Jima. He produced um, two or three others. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. But um, it's basically an, an Eastwood film. And I, he said he was not going to act anymore after uh, Gran Torino. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just figuring this has got to be a pretty good piece if it's uh, something that, that moved him to come back, right? Well, I'll always give him a shot. You know, I even like Jay Edgar, so mm-hmm. he is one of my favorite directors, and I'm sure that whatever movie this is, I'll love it, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah. I just, I'm, I'm horrified by this whole Mrs. Eastwood and Company situation. I'm surprised more people aren't talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I order you to watch it. Oh, I can't. No, <laughs> you have no. to. Yeah. You have to share my misery. Yeah, I'm taking no. a bullet for Clint. You have to do it. <laughs> Okay, I'll watch one episode. All right, thank you. <laughs> oh. um, too bad that Gravity is out of the picture. I thought that was going to be a year-end thing, but because that was supposed to be uh, when they were shooting that, they were all saying what a mind blower that was going to be in terms of like extended shots or something really novel about it. I'm really sorry that that happened, but that's now pushed off to well, the spring or the summer anyway, something like that. If not. Falling and fall. You're not saying anything. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I agree. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, there are some movies that, unfortunately, because of can, are just knocked out of the running, which they might have been thought of better. Like, I'm not saying that was a can movie, but like, it, it sort of falls in line with those other movies that have just sort of fallen away. By the way, we're not talking about. Uh, is it called uh, To the Wonder? The Terrence Malick it used to be called The Burial. To the Wonder. Right. You're not thinking about that either. I mean, no. Uh, well, I, we don't know what the story is, but... Um, well, the story... We don't know if it's going to be released, of course. Right. And didn't it get pulled from Cannes? Uh, I don't know that it was even offered or that... Oh. that, that I thought uh, it just wasn't ready and... Well, that's him because he takes forever to get things uh, in, a, in a shape right. where he likes to show them. Uh, but remember, this is the guy who made Tree of Life, and this mm-hmm. is a film that he shot in late 2010, and it's been in the editing room, will have been in the editing room for the better part of almost two years. So it's a, you know, it's a pretty considerable effort with a good cast, uh, you know, Affleck and, and, uh, and Rachel McAdams and, and, and Rachel, Jessica Chastain. She's great in everything, and, um, and Javier is in it. It might be a pretty good film. Right, it might be. It's a total roll of the dice, right? Could be great, could be terrible. Um, if it's like Tree of Life, if it's obscure like that and meandering and no, I don't know. Tree of Life was more of a meditative thing about children uh, being harmed and and how they survive their parents. This is uh, about uh, a, a relationship thing about a, uh, a kind of uh, Affleck and Rachel McAdams, and then there's another woman involved. I don't know what it is, really. Yeah. Never- it's interesting because it's so going to come down to how many nominees there are. Tree of Life never would have gotten in with five, I don't think. Um, well, maybe it's possible, but um, uh, I should say, by the way, uh, I don't know if you've heard anything, Tom, or read anything, uh, but I'm starting to get the distinct feeling that uh, Cloud Atlas is not going to be accessible enough to be uh, this kind of film. They're they're just not sure how to sell it and how to put it across. 
You heard anything like that, Tom? Or anything? no? I'm still see. I'm a little disadvantaged on the Oscar talk because I'm still in Emmy mode over here. Oh, so let me pass oh. off to Sasha. What do you think? No, I don't have any opinion. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have any opinion about it. But um, but I, I trust your opinion, Jeff. Whatever it is, it's not. A, I just <laughs> I just know that they've showed it to a couple of people, and the sense is that it's pretty uh, pretty ambitious, and certainly. Uh, you know, you're glad that you saw it and all that, but I don't know if it's going to uh, go over with you know the, the people that vote for Oscar awards. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think this Gold Derby list is really, really handy, though. It's a great thing to have because it it really does give lay out pretty much all the contenders that there are, right. and it's just going to go. You're probably not going to add any more to the list. You'll just be taking away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's why it's so useful to have, Tom. This is a really great chart. Well, good. Thank you. We have uh, Chris Beecham and Daniel Montgomery, our two senior editors, spent a lot of time compiling this. And we just wanted to be out there really early with something to help us, you know. Is it least some, yeah, these, that's what's good. These lists are something to talk about, to start to say no to this person, mm-hmm. or based upon, you know, obviously just expectation and political currents and everything. But then you, that this, is, this is the process. It gradually takes shape. By the time we hit uh, Telluride time, it'll be a pretty much clearer and, and more solidified. Yeah. Do you think, by the way, there's any interest or chance in the Cohen mother Cohen brothers film Inside Lewin Davis coming out this year or is that definitely going to be a that's always they're always a threat when they make any movie but I don't know I'm 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 sort of feeling the way Gold Derby seems to be feeling that it's going to be sort of a a lesser effort but yeah I mean you always got to can you always got to imagine that they're going to be the academy they love them you know right so I really hope. I'm really a very, very. That was that was in fact the most exciting thing that's happened in the last week was seeing that Robert Zemeckis trailer for Flight. I thought that was boy. That kind of movie just doesn't seem to happen very much. You know, right. it's obviously one of those middle class dramas that's not about uh, hugeness or effects, and it's not about uh, small indie style. You know, indie thing. It's like in the middle. Very, very. Uh, I just miss those films so much, and I wish they made more of them, but they don't. Yeah, they but don't the one because thing that's missing on that plane are some snakes. Come on, let's. <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah, because they don't make boomer m- movies coming of middle age so much. But but I tell you what, what happens with those is they absolutely are embraced by Oscar because that's the demographic. So. Mm. A lot of the movies that are aimed at young people aren't going to make it in, but they're always the ones that the internet is excited about, you know. And that's wherein lies the conflict often: is that the internet readers, my readers, are so young; they're like young, young, you know, <laughs> early twenties. Let's talk about what that for one second here. Uh, the, the 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 ages of our readers is so shocking, and the knowledge they have about these awards. I understand those of us who've been following this for many years, but when I go into the message boards and I look at the profiles of, of our of the people at Gold Derby, because we now you know it's set up like Facebook, so you have a profile page and they reveal who they are and what their loves are and their mm-hmm. ages. In many cases, my God, they're like half of my staff is twenty five years old or twenty eight under under thirty. I and know. the knowledge they have. Mm-hmm. Wow, where and, do they get this? And the Academy should be very heartened by this because you have whole generations of young people who are interested in the Oscars where you'd yeah. think that it would just be old people, but old people really can't be bothered. It's really the young people who are interested and they are the ones who champion movies and they're the ones with the fresh ideas about what might happen at the Oscars, something new, right. you know, breakthroughs. And 
Mm-hmm. And they amaze me. Some of them have been, you know, I've watched them grow up. You know, I've been they've been reading me since they were really young, and they're still young. I mean, it's it's weird. It's it's odd to me because there's it's fun to engage with people like that because with young people because they're they they are so fresh thinking. They don't have all of their ideas set. They aren't cynical about the future for the most part. And yeah, uh, something it just I was just thinking about uh, Los Angeles and this being the opening of the Los Angeles Film Festival. Yeah. Either of you going to Woody Allen's film tonight? I'm supposed to go. I hope I can muster it all up to go. Um in other yeah. words, you're not going to go. I know that. <laughs> I'm going to try my best. I've got a lot going on. My daughter's having her 14 year old birthday party tomorrow you're here not with going. a bunch of twins. It. <laughs> okay. I have to plan a bunch of stuff. No, I'm really going to try because, and then the reason I'm going to try is because Hollywood Elsewhere is going to be up there with reviews as soon as they come <laughs> out. So I've got to compete. But um, I'm going to try. No, I'm not going. To. You're not nice. going. The, uh, the first tweets are going to come out just as I wake up and start working at 6.30 in the morning. So that's uh, convenient for me. <laughs> I figure they'll start happening around 9.30. So. Yeah, it's not an Oscar movie, though. Let's face it. So it's Did you hard. read the reviews out of Rome when it opened in April? Yeah, they were all saying it was terrible. But you can't really trust the Romans because, you know, that's an American trying to tell them about what Rome is like. Yeah, you know? sure. That's, you have to take that with a grain. Exactly. So they're going to go like, are you kidding me? This is what it's like. But um, but who knows? But he does do that. He always has his characters living in great apartments. They're always living in that kind of <laughs> bubble, that affluent bubble of, of always going to the nice cafes and always walking through museums. And, and you know, he doesn't ever, he, you know, out of choice, he doesn't want to set his movies in the realm that most people live in terms of economics and whatnot. It's a... It's a and that's what they were complaining about. They said he, this is a tourist uh, uh, Rome, yeah. and it's a, a realm that only people with a lot of money who kind of imagine it, it's going to be like that. That's the Rome that they occupy and, and live right. in. So. And Rome and the the I have to say that um, having spent time, my daughter's half Italian, having spent a lot of time in Italy, uh, Hollywood has gotten it wrong. I mean, they always portray Italy as basically southern Italy. And it's different. It's very, very different from that. Rome is different from how you, you see it. It's not, it's not like a pizza, Roma, you know. <laughs> it's not like that. The way that they portray it in Eat, Pray, Love is not the Rome that, that I knew and experienced. So I think they probably have a point. What does Woody Allen know about Rome? He's more of a Paris guy, more of a New York guy, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I know one thing for sure, and you can tell this from the trailer, that it is a beautifully shot film, and it has those wonderful... Uh, sort of slightly golden, ambery tones everywhere, and that is what that city looks like at Magic Hour, and it's a beautiful yeah. vibe. And I know just from strictly looking at it, forget the dialogue, it looks like something that I really am going to enjoy, at least on that level. Right, and Lanza doesn't have really awful characters like his movies sometimes do, and then you're stuck for two hours with people you can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so here we go. We're off. We're off and, r- and running. Tom, are you coming to tell your ride? Please say yes. I, I always, I would. You know what? I might talk me into it because I I'm always trying do, to uh, <laughs> Toronto every year, and I would love to just switch and do Telluride this year. Yeah, Telluride's just a few days, and it's totally like concentrated Oscar. Like you know, you mm-hmm. don't get yeah. much more in, t- in Toronto than you can get in Telluride. Um, at least Pretty last much. Year. By the time you get to Toronto, I felt distinctly last year after having done uh, uh, Telluride with Sasha and everybody, 
I felt that I, would, I had seen, I had gotten the best of the world by the time I got to Toronto. And then there were some, you know, interesting uh, detours and, and other other films that I was glad I saw. But yeah. the, the creme de la creme is at, was at Telluride. And the thing about yeah, Telluride is that it's, um, it's, it's such a tiny town and not a lot of people go there. And you just, I got such a good vibe from being there um, that mm-hmm. it's just, it was so intimate. You know, it was weird. Like you're walking around, oh, there's Tilda Swinton. <laughs> It's yeah, right, bizarre, right. but um, and yeah. and it's different from Cannes because Cannes is just like hordes and hordes and hordes of people everywhere, and I'm sure t- um, Toronto's a lot like that too. But Telluride's different; it's smaller. And... Yeah. Okay, you've talked me into it. I'll do Telluride. Yay! Oh, I'm so glad. But you got to get your lodging squared away pretty quick because the lodging is ridiculous. Oh, really? I've been. Yeah. Okay. I just realized something. If I could interject, uh, going off Tom's list, and um, I feel that every movie that Judd Apatow does. He goes up a uh, level. I think he's uh, he's going to do it one of these years. I don't know that if this is 40, is that might be a not deep enough uh, experience. I don't know what it is. But uh, why is that not being even thought about by the Gold Derby crowd? What, what's your thinking on that, Tom? I mean, I mean, it seems to me like he's trying to do something about middle age for, for Paul Rudd's generation. And that can sometimes render something interesting if you're talking about you know dealing with life moving along and you getting older and that sort of thing you know yeah. i have no defense of my uh, <laughs> my users opinions i don't know the <laughs> <laughs> or, well, or they're idiots what are the other mm. i want to look mm. at it really fast this is 40 okay so it's totally um judd apatow all the way it's mm-hmm. uh what's her name leslie mann the wife and yeah. paul rudd albert brooks as the father Albert Brooks and Megan Fox, mm-hmm. Lena Dunham. What a shocker! Um, mm-hmm. Chris O'Dowd, Melissa McCarthy. It looks good. It doesn't look Oscar, but it looks good. It, maybe not, but it looks good. Uh, Chris O'Dowd, by the way, let's let's have a moment for him because he is fantastic. It's the best thing that he's ever done in uh, the sat in the sapphires that I, I, I saw. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It, now the movie kind of doesn't really do it in the third act. But man, the first act and into the second act for Chris O'Dowd, he is a star with this movie. This is something that you, you, right away you say, "This guy has got it." I really like being in his company. I liked him a lot with uh, 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 *Bridesmaids*, and uh, uh, you know, I've, I know he's a clever, bright fellow, but I, he really pops out in this film. So, high, highly recommended that everybody uh, see that. This earliest opportunity. Yeah. Okay. The Sapphires. Yeah, I meant to see that in Cannes. I didn't get a chance to, but it looks good. It definitely I had, looks I good. had to get aggressive about it. I was told, you know, I, I didn't want to see it, and I went to see it at the Salle de Bazin, I think it was, and I was just going, well, I'll sit, hang in here, and you know, it's just a, another Dream Girls, except it's in Australia, and the girls are Aborigine, and you know, mm-hmm. I kind of knew what it would be like, and it's better than what I thought. Oh, uh, good. At least the first two acts are. Well, you know, if Weinstein's right. sniffing around, it's got to be something there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as good, it's not as ambitious as Dreamgirls. It's smallish, but it's very satisfying for the first two thirds, and it's not too bad the last act. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think with this is forty, it's just going to depend how much you like uh, what's her name, because it looks like she's carrying the whole movie, right, Leslie Mann. Why? What? What has happened with her character? Do you know something about the? I don't know. She's on the poster, so doesn't that mean that's that she's yeah. the? Yeah, and, and she's all over the trailer too. Yeah. Okay. They call it the sort of sequel to Knocked Up, which is 
a movie I wish could be erased off the face of the earth, but it never will be. <laughs> you know, I've got two windows open. I've got Tom's thing and I've got mine. I just realized in, in doing this, and I'm glad we, we had this chat, I just realized how ridiculously out of date my uh, balloon is. I haven't uh, updated it in, in several weeks, and it's all these things are changed now. You yeah. have to be disciplined about it, which, of course, leaves me out because I'm not disciplined about it, but you have to really change these lists every couple weeks anyway. You have to really look at things afresh. Mm. Yeah. It's true. I know. I do the same. It's it's hard to get your mind on to, to Oscar because it, it just seems like it's so f- so far away that it's yeah. not even a reality right now. But there are a few things we know. We know that Beasts of the Southern Wild is a mm-hmm. really powerful film that a lot of people are walking out of totally devastated, and that's the kind of thing you got to watch out for. It's being backed by Fox Searchlight. You've got a really really promising writer director behind Why it. Why does anybody feel like me? Why does Why am the uh, the only person who's says there's too much mud and too many lizards and, and that that icky quality after a while, about two-thirds of the way through, you start to just feel, I'd love to take a shower, I'd love to go to a hotel. <laughs> this is just getting to be too much. It's beautiful and it's inventive and I love the energy, but it's, it's, it's kind of like I don't want to be there anymore. I don't think you're the only one. I think you're the only vocal one. I think that that's going <laughs> to come out in a lot of Oscar voters. They're going to feel that way probably. In no way, shape, or form am I saying this makes it a less, you know, excellent film. I'm, it's a superb film. But I just, it's the way it made me feel after a while. And that father yelling all the time with a bottle of booze in his hand. I just thought it was, you know. Yeah, even though the movie's only 90-some minutes, the first thing I thought was, they should trim this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's way too much of the icky and the boozy and the, and the repetitive scenes. But this movie is so transformative at the end with this My surging God. musical score that just carries you beautifully yeah. and he and did the, the music of, right. and the boldness of these of these uh, wild animals of the actual wild beasts he brings in there mm. yeah. the imagery and how and how where he takes that in an imaginative kind of ballsy moment at the end really it's just just brilliant to watch yeah. and at the end the mm. final scene is just just lifts you up in the way that slumdog does and others in such a it's a magnificent it way. Just, that's, what, yeah. that's what screams Oscar. Right. Absolutely. Right. I mean, I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I was literally had the breath taken out of me at the end of that movie. That's mm-hmm. never happened to me watching a movie before, ever. Like, just whoosh, right out of me in my chest, and I had to take a breath. and go, oh, my God. And you suddenly forget about all those lizards, Jeff. <laughs> because you never see anything original anymore. You never see anything inventive. You never see what you're looking at on the screen. That is art. You see yeah. carbon copies. You see films made by people who've been sitting on their couch watching movies their whole lives, right. like Judd Apatow, where they don't know anything about real life. And real life to them is a prism that's been told to them and taught to them through other filmmakers. Right. But this guy, somehow, at 23 years old, I don't know where these things come from, but it happened to Orson Welles at 24, so it's not totally unheard of. But for him to pull this out and to have the courage to tell this story in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. I mean, other filmmakers... Not, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and not cop out at the end. I was kept saying, don't give us the happy ending. Don't do yeah. that. Let's be true, true to the story. And he stays true to the story. He does. Oh, it's wonderful. He says, I'm not going to after-school special this. I'm not mm-hmm. going to make mm-hmm. it more palatable for worried parents. You know? Mm-hmm. No, right. I'm not. Because this is this is raw. This is hardcore. Um mm-hmm. This is life, you know. This yeah. is the edge of life, the knife's edge, and um, right. and he manages with the performances of two incredible actors, the dad and the daughter, to pull it off. 
you know, and she at the end is just, oh, that ending. It's exquisite. And it really taps into Katrina in a way that, in a beautiful, artful way that uh, um, most of the stuff on Katrina doesn't. It's just melodramatic. Oh, we're poor people standing here holding up our signs, you know. Oh, I'm a poor, you know, crack mom holding up my sign and, you know. Uh, social services, this social service. You don't have anything that sort of captures the spirit of the place like that movie does. I don't well, know how he did it. Is going to be significant for a lot of people because this is going to be the first significant Lincoln pushback discussion that I have. Heard. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to get grief about this. <laughs> well, we don't know anything about Lincoln yet. All I know is from every time we put poor Spielberg up into that seat, in the hot mm-hmm. seat, he fa- it's not that he fails, it's that the expectations are too high and that they need to be taken. I think he fails. I don't think he's got it anymore. I think he's past his point where he is truly uh, has that kind of energy that you just described so well with the director of Beasts of the Southern Wild, Ben, ben Zeitlin. Uh, that guy is Spielberg in 1975 right. with Sugarland Express, you know. And you have to keep being that person. I don't know how you keep doing it when you get older, but you can't really. Period. You can't. Not when you're one of the richest men in the world, and your life is every time. You can see this by watching Mrs. Eastwood and Company. How when you're in that echelon, how everything is catered to. You don't have even have to struggle with plane tickets or waiting in line. You know, you're high. Do you think he's so insulated? And so full and so surrounded by yes people in his life that he doesn't understand that he needs to reinvigorate and be fresh. And when he gets a hold of good material, as he clearly did with Schindler's List, he got out of the way of that movie almost, except for two things. The little girl with a red coat in color. That was mm-hmm. Spielberg uh, doing one of his things. And Liam Neeson cracking, uh, breaking down at the end, saying he feels guilty they didn't save more people. And then the third thing was the um, the, the survivors, uh, you know, doing a tribute in Israel many years ago. Well, he, then he still had an itch he hadn't scratched. He hadn't won his big Oscar yet, and it was still about the struggle. I was talking to my friend about this who's a musician, and she's been trying to get famous for many, many years, and she was saying how frustrating it was that she couldn't quite get there. And, and I was saying to her, you know, it's funny because I sort of see it like the opposite. I see it like the struggle is everything. And mm. once you've arrived, what more do you really have to say? You know, it, it, it's hard because Spielberg had maybe three major issues gnawing at his soul. He had the Holocaust because he's a Jew. He had divorce because his father left him, you know, when he was young. Yeah. Um, that came out in E.T., you mean? And he had the desire to make something of himself, being kind of a poor kid, a middle-class kid. So those three things were all answered and solved. So now what does he have? He has, I have all these wonderful kids. I have a wonderful wife. I own practically half of Hollywood. Everyone wants to, you know, kiss my feet, bathe them, you know. And and he does have too many yes men. Nobody is going to go say to him, that movie sucks. (laughs) Many years ago, he's not a person who's into reading that much. He's not that well-educated. But if he has a little spark of intelligence that tells him, if, I say, if Kushner's script is as good as I would like it to be, if he just says to himself, you know, for once, just in the spirit of Sanders, I'm going to get out of the way and I'm just going to let this thing be plain and straight. If he does that, then this has a chance of really being one of the big contenders. If he doesn't, then uh, all bets are off. But you're being too tough on Spielberg, Jeff. It's all on Kushner. It's got to come. He's got to feel the struggle that Sasha's talking about. 
he still has to feel the pain. The brilliance of Angels in America, I don't mm. think, was seen in Munich or anything that he's written since. And I hope he finds it again because to the point that Sasha made about the struggle is missing with these successful people once they've achieved uh, you know, this kind of pampered lifestyle. Mm. And I go back to a quote of Truman Capote who once said, uh, more writers have been spoiled by the Johnny Carson show than the world will ever know. Mm. <laughs> That's so brilliant. That's, <laughs> That's true. And uh, wow. I think that uh, Tony Kushner may have been spoiled by subsequent talk shows. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, Angels in America, you're never going to get that level again. And and it was kind of the same with Orson Welles. What do you do when you've made Citizen Kane at 24? I mean, what do you do? How do you fix that? How do you top that? And how do you top Schindler's List? You know, um, the only person I've ever seen even come close to that in the mainstream is, um, well, okay, Martin Scorsese, who you guys probably disagree, but I think with Hugo, I think Martin Scorsese still has that itch. He still has it. He won with The Departed, but I don't think he feels like that was the movie he wanted to win for. So I think he's still struggling. And I think Boz Lerman still has the struggle and the fight. And um, Paul Thomas Anderson, certainly. Quentin Tarantino, absolutely. That's the one good thing Oscar does, is it's like the carrot in front of the horse. Uh-huh. It makes these artists try harder. But once they win, once they have their big success, you know, how do you get that back? How do you get that itch back? That's why I think so many actors kind of rest on their laurels once they've, like, Halle Berry or whatever. You know, they stop fighting to give those great performances. Unless they really just love the work, like Meryl Streep, you know? Yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> talk, talk, talk. No, you're talk, right. Talk. But you're, last year when Midnight in Paris was so brilliant, I thought, God, isn't it great? We're wrong about this, that the, the fact that successful people don't have yeah. to feel the struggle later in life. Look, Woody was able to do it. He actually achieved greatness late in life. And then I read Midnight in Paris is based on a short story that Woody Allen wrote when he was young. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. It was a return like, to form for him. <laughs> <laughs> but he kind of still has the struggle because he still has to wipe off the shame of the whole Sunyi thing. So he's yeah, still yeah. sort of trying to prove himself a little bit. But somebody like Spielberg, I mean, he just doesn't have, you know, people gave him a pass for War Horse. That's how much, how many yes men are around him. It isn't just the people who work with him. It's the critics and the fans. Everybody gives him a pass, you know. You just need a little bit of time to look back at something and you see with clarity how people could have been so... What is wrong with you guys? What has happened to your your judgment? Why would you be so adoring and, and praise, praising of, uh, of War Horse? But many, many people were. You know? I wish that they had knocked him down a rung for that because I think it would have helped him as a storyteller. And I miss the old Spielberg, you know? And not that he has to exist for me. I, I'm just, if he well, when it didn't win, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, our friend Dave Carger, he was shocked. Said, what happened to the War Horse momentum? He was, he was stunned because he was, he was very... <laughs> convinced that it well, was Well, Jeff, I, w- I was with you when we saw War Horse, and remember the first thing you said when the house lights went on? Yeah. You turned to me and you said, Pete Hammond is crazy! <laughs> <laughs> what? Because <laughs> Pete was loving the movie, too, and he had already seen it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that people who got... I mean, I sobbed all the way through that movie, but my critical part of my mind said, oh my god, you know? I mean, I so what? I cried during, you know, some mm-hmm. episodes of The Bachelorette. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Spielberg fans, sorry, big apologies, but I'm okay, hoping. So there's the Lincoln pushback and the decision that the two leaders, and let's just repeat this one more time, are Beasts of the Southern World and Les Miserables, and that is the considered uh, the judgment of you two. I'm not so sure, but I don't have anything to argue against. So, you know, interesting. And I, th- I just think that. 
There's a great uh, story that, that Mark Bowl has invested in the whole. Remember, he had a whole thing worked out in terms of research and the whole, you know, uh, uh, so the backstory of, of leading up to the Bin Laden uh, identification. So this has a great ending, but it has a good beginning, too, because, remember, he had really done his work and put together something interesting, which they are ready to shoot before bin Laden was found and, and killed. So mm-hmm. that, that might be and I think, and, and lastly, let's let's give a shout-out to, to Django, because Quentin is you know, way overdue for an Oscar. Yeah. I think that if uh, Harvey hadn't put so much attention on Nine, that Inglorious had a campaign in Glorious Bastards stronger, it would have it would have had a real shot to get in. Remember, it had the second most nominations that year. Yeah. So I think that that the Oscars often reward movies based on who directs them, directs them, of course. And there's a lot of uh, love and, and desire to catch up with Quentin. Yeah. And if Django has the greatness that we hope it does, it could be a player. Even I think though it's so. violent. I mean, it's like no country for old men violent. You know? And this mm-hmm. might be the year that he, it's sort of like when The Departed came in. I mean, it was coming in, you know, he was overdue, blah, blah, blah. It didn't have a lot of really strong competition. Thinking that maybe Django Unchained is coming in a year that there's not a lot of strong competition. There's no big movie that it's going to be competing. Unless Lincoln hits it out of the park, unless Les Mis hits it out of the park, Django with Harvey Weinstein behind him and the overdue, uh, this might be Quentin's year. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's never well, made a bad movie either, by the yeah. way. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, nice talking Thanks. with you, and uh, I guess we'll catch up next time. Yes. Yeah, next Sunday. Thanks for including me. This was fun. Thanks. It was fun. Okay, bye. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to episode 81 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, special guest Tom O'Neill from GoldDerby.com, and Sasha Stoden from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Oscar Podcast. And the bumper music today was Oh, 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 by Say Hi, and Bless This Space by Brian Eno. Thanks for listening.